Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. We are thankful for such a beautiful day, the opportunity to be together, to worship God, to join together in song, in prayer, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to give of our means, and also to study from his word. It is a great blessing to be a Christian and to enjoy all of the great riches that are in Christ. Today I want us to think for a moment or two about the theme, choosing a better way of life. I suspect if you were to ask people on the street, would you like to have a better, a better life? Their response would be emphatically, absolutely. Did you know that a better life a better way of life begins by choosing a better way of life. In other words, in order for us to have a better life here on planet Earth, we have to make wise choices, right choices. And so I want us to think for a moment or two about choosing a better way of life. And there are a couple of things I want to share with you along these lines. I would call attention to Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. There are, there are really two things that I think stand out in looking at these passages. First of all, there is the ensnarement of sin. And then the second thing would be the escape from sin. As we think about the ensnarement of sin, Paul said in verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were the slaves, the servants of sin. That implies that people are ensnared by the devil, by a life of sin. As we think about the ensnarement of sin, there are, there are some specific things that I would call attention to. First of all, the problem of sin. Did you know that in many respects, Sin is an epidemic. In other words, the human family as a whole is plagued by sin. Down through time, there have been any number of epidemics. Some epidemics have eventually turned into pandemics. But I think about the epidemic associated with the great flu of 1918 in which historians state there were about 37 million people that died worldwide. In the early part of the 20th century, tuberculosis was a real problem. It was an epidemic. My grandmother died when my dad was just an infant as a result of TB. Those are two very real epidemics that have been faced by people in our world. Sin is an epidemic. In the book of Romans, Paul would say in chapter one that the Gentile world is under sin. In chapter two, he would say that the Jewish world, that they too are under sin. In chapter three, the conclusion according to Paul, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short, fallen short 
of the glory of God. Sin is a problem that is really worldwide. And thus, as we, as we talk about the problem of sin, we understand that it reaches all people, regardless of age, sex, race, economic background, educational background, whatever the case may be. Sin is a problem. But then there is what I would call the power of sin. What about the power of sin? I think it's certainly set forth by Paul in verse 16. He said, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were the slaves of sin. And the idea here is that sin is a very powerful thing in the lives of people. Two, two very specific points here. Number one, sin entices. And we understand that temptation is what ultimately leads to sin. But there is the enticement to sin. The devil is very shrewd. He knows how to make sin appealing. John tells us that he appeals to people through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. James talks about how the devil literally baits people with sin. The devil knows how to identify the weaknesses and frailties of people and then exploit them. And then there is the enslavement of sin. When we talk about slavery today, people typically think back to the problem of slavery in our country and not just our country but even in past civilizations. But there is something called the slavery of sin. That's what Paul is saying here. That those who choose to live a life of sin become enslaved to sin. It literally makes people a servant, a bond servant to sin. Jesus would say in John chapter 8 verse 34 that those who commit sin become the bond servants of sin. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 24 through 26 Paul talks about how the servant of the Lord is to reach out to people and to try to encourage them to turn to the Lord. And he talks about how people are taken captive by the devil to do his will. That is really the enslavement of sin. It ensnares people. And then there is a third thing that I would call attention to, the price of sin. You ever thought about the price of sin? What will sin cost you? Let's just say that somebody chooses to live a life of sin, as Paul talks about in Romans 6.16. What's that going to cost? What's the price tag associated with living a life associated with sin? Four things. Number one, sin is an encumbrance. And by that, I mean it is a burden. It's a terrible weight to bear. The Hebrew writer talks about in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, laying aside every sin and the weight that so easily besets us. You ever, have you ever seen people whose lives are not what they ought to be? 
And a lot of times they struggle with the weight of guilt. Where did that weight of guilt come from? In some respects, it comes from a life of sin. There are a lot of people in our world today, they try to rid themselves of guilt, the weight of guilt, through chemical drugs, prescription drugs, alcohol. The bottom line is those are only temporary measures. They can't solve the problem of sin. And then there is a second thing. When we talk about the cost or the price of sin, I would suggest that in many respects it can be embarrassing. Let me give you an example. You remember David? David, of course, is called a man after God's own heart. You go back and look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, and David fell prey to the devil, didn't he? You remember he saw Bathsheba, a very beautiful woman. The only problem was Bathsheba was married. And yet David saw her, and I guess as we would say, wanted her. And so they had an adulterous union. A child was conceived. In chapter 12, God dispatched a man by the name of Nathan, a prophet, to go to David and to, to basically lay before him what he had done. David, David, of course, had the opportunity to listen to Nathan as, as he told him a parable. The parable was a prompting to David to get him to see where he was in the eyes of God. But just look at the life of David. Here is this great king, a man of immense power. He's a wealthy man. He's known, by, he's known and loved by thousands of people. And yet he gets caught up in a life of sin. Don't you know that was an embarrassment to him? There are a lot of people in our world today that engage in what we would call sinful practices. And they are embarrassing. Look at, look at some of the politicians in days gone by that have been caught telling lies or engaging in unethical behavior or in some form of immorality. Those are just some examples that highlight for us the embarrassment associated with sin. There's a third thing that I would suggest and that is that sin, when it's all said and done, leaves one empty. The emptiness of sin. Is it not the case that the, de that the devil promises us the world, so to speak? What the devil wants us to think is that, hey, if we'll choose this way of life, that's where satisfaction and happiness and joy and contentment, that's where those things are found. But the bottom line is, in many respects, they leave a person with a very empty feeling. Take, for example, the prodigal son in Luke 15. The prodigal son asked his father for his inheritance, interestingly, before his father ever died. Well, his father, his father complied with his wishes. The son gathered, all, he gathered together everything that he had, and Jesus said, took a journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When that young man went out into the world, as we say, 
I think what he saw, the bright lights, the glitter of the world, the attraction of the world, the fun times, the happiness, the pleasure that he would derive out in the world. But what happened? Well, Jesus said, when he had spent all, there arose a famine in the land. This man spent everything his daddy gave him. And as a result of that, was penniless. Found himself feeding with the swine. The Bible says no man gave to him. Here, here is a classic example of somebody who thought the world and the things of the world would be fulfilling. That They would in some way fill that void. Read the book of Ecclesiastes sometime and look at Solomon. You want to talk about somebody that had everything? Solomon had it all. Solomon tried it all in many respects and his conclusion was that life is about serving God, fearing God, keeping his commandments. And then there is a fourth thing that I would call attention to and that is that sin, it endangers when people choose a life of sin, whether they realize it or not, they are on thin ice. Of course, first and foremost, they're without God and without any hope in this world. But one of the real tragedies of living in sin is the danger of a hard heart, a calloused heart. Paul talks about those whose conscience becomes seared did you know that when people choose to live a life of sin, that one of the real dangers is you may not come home. You may go too far. You may, you may stay away too long, and you just never come home. And then there is a fourth thing that I would cite for you as it relates to the ensnarement of sin, and that is its penalty. What is the penalty of sin? Let me just say this. Sin always ends the same way. It always has the same ending. The ending is death. That's what Paul said in Romans 6, verse 23. You can read it. The wages of sin is death. We talk about the cost of a life of sin, choosing to ignore the wisdom of God, the will of God, the word of God. Let me tell you what, you're going to pay a heavy price for it. Now, the flip side of that, how do we escape from a life of sin? Is it possible to extract ourselves from a life that we know is detrimental to our spiritual well-being? I think the answer is yes. Is there deliverance? Is there, is there a possibility for me as a member of the human family to enjoy the blessings of salvation, to be set free. We talk about choosing a better way of life. Well, we have to make that choice. It's up to us. Let me just say, first of all, that there is a prescription for sin. There is, as the Bible portrays him, the great physician. Read the life of Jesus. 
I would encourage you to read, I would encourage you to read one chapter out of the gospel narratives every day. I would encourage you to do that throughout the year. The more you read about Jesus, the more you will come to see him as the great physician. You will be amazed at how many people he reached out to. Jesus often was seen helping the helpless, reaching out to people who in many respects were beyond the scope of redemption in the eyes of many. He touched the untouchable. Jesus was compassionate. He was kind. He was merciful. He was loving. He was gracious. Jesus Christ is what I would say is the remedy for sin. He is the only remedy for sin. Jesus Christ is the answer to sin. Listen to what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Luke would write in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now as we think about the remedy for sin, listen to what Paul would say in Romans chapter 5. When we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8 he said, but God commendeth. In other words, God demonstrated his love toward us. How did he demonstrate or manifest his love for those of us in the human family? He didn't merely verbalize that love, but rather he demonstrated it. We say in word and in deed. God commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the remedy for sin. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Do you remember when the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph? And he said that that which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. She's gonna bring forth a son, he said, and she's going to call his name Jesus, for it is he that shall save his people from their sins. Here's what Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save the lost. There is a prescription for sin. The remedy for sin is Jesus. And then I would suggest in the second place that he is the redeemer for sin. Jesus is the one who has redeemed us. Well, we talk about the cost of sin. Let me talk to you about the cost of salvation. Do you know what it cost Jesus to save you? Do you know what it cost God the Father to save you? It cost Jesus his blood. It cost God the Father his son. God the Father was in heaven. And God the Father saw his son on Calvary, dying for the sins of the human family. The Bible says that there was darkness over the land for three hours while Jesus 
hung on the cross. Jesus would say, it is finished. Jesus came to redeem us. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Peter would say that Christ has redeemed us, not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. So Jesus is the prescription for sin, but then I would suggest in the second place that there is pardon for sin. Did you know that you can be forgiven? That I can be forgiven? The Bible is about forgiveness. The redemptive plan of God is about forgiveness. If we miss that, we miss the thrust of Scripture. God in Christ redeeming the world unto himself. God is interested in you individually. God is interested in every person. The Bible tells us that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Don't let anybody ever tell you that God's not interested in you as a person. Don't let anybody ever tell you that God doesn't love you. Don't ever let anybody tell you that God is not concerned about where you are in your spiritual life because the fact of the matter is he does care. He's very concerned. God is so concerned that he sent Jesus. And Jesus was so concerned that he came to die for our sins. Let me tell you how you can enjoy forgiveness or pardon from sin. It begins by obeying the gospel, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. While Jesus was on earth, one of the things that he did was try to convince people that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. Jesus would say in John 8, verse 24, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. Imagine people in the first century. Some of the Jews believed in him, some rejected him. If anyone should have known about Jesus and have been able to link together the scriptures and understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of that which had been penned in the Old Testament, the Jews should have. But Jesus said to the Jews, unless you come to believe that I am God's only son, you'll die in your sins. So when people believe that Jesus is the son of God and repent of their sins and confess his name, and then are baptized into Christ. They enjoy forgiveness. Well, what's the basis of forgiveness? Is it the water? Well, it's the blood. You see, in order for us to appropriate the blood of Christ, we have to go where it was shed. It was shed in death, John 19:34. So how then do we contact Christ's blood? Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. When we are baptized into Christ, we're baptized into the death of Christ, wherein we contact the blood of Christ. And the Bible tells us that God then places us in a divine body. It's called the church. So when we're in Christ, we enjoy what? Forgiveness, pardon. All of our sins washed away. 
When the Apostle Paul recounted his conversion story in Acts 22:16, he said that Ananias said to him, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What washed away the sins of Paul, the blood of Christ? When did he enjoy the cleansing, the washing, when he was baptized into Christ? You see, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Paul became a Christian, a New Testament Christian. He became a member of the body that God the Father has promised to save according to Ephesians 5, verse 23. And then there is one final thing that I want to say about the escape from sin. And that is there is peace. When you obey the gospel and you escape a life of sin, let me tell you what, you can enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. There is nothing in this world that can, that can compare to the peace that we enjoy in Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, Paul said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, let me just call attention very quickly to the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6, Isaiah some 700 years before Jesus ever came to earth foretold of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. He identified him as the Prince of Peace. And here's the point. The Prince of Peace can give you peace. Nothing can compare to what the Prince of Peace can give you. Let me just close by reading for you Romans 6, 6, 16 through 18. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness? Obedience to righteousness leads to what? To that escape. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. When people obey the gospel, what do they escape? Sin. What then do they become? Listen to what Paul said. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You know, it's one thing to be a slave of unrighteousness. Something else to be a slave of righteousness. It's one thing to be a servant of Satan. It's another thing to be a servant of the Lord. I want to encourage you today, choose a better way of life. There is a better way of life. Did, did you know that as Christians, we have the greatest message in the world? The message that we have, the gospel that we have, that we hold in our hands, this is the message that we have to sell to a lost and dying world. When people ask us, what are the benefits of Christianity? Let me just tell you what. They overflow from this book. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they are mired in a life of sin. Their lives are, are well, they're, they're living in confusion. They're in a state of chaos. They're unhappy. They're discontent. Their, their home lives are a wreck. When you say yes to the Lord, then you're choosing a better way of life. You want to get your home life right? Come to the Lord. You want to get your personal life right? Come to the Lord.
What do you need to do? Do what they did on Pentecost Day. Repent. Be baptized into Christ. Enjoy forgiveness. Let God put you in his church, Acts 2.47. Live faithfully and enjoy the promise of life eternal that Paul talked about in Titus 1.2. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're not what you ought to be. Could we pray with you and for you? Could we help you in any way? We want you to join us as we go to heaven. Come as we stand and sing.